All right, now we can get into the sermon, right? I've entitled today's sermon, Stop and Turn or Crash and Burn. It's right behind me here. Everybody turn to your friend next to you and say, Stop and Turn, Stop and Turn, Stop and Turn, Stop and Turn or Crash and Burn, right? Uh, We'll, 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 we'll read the text. We are in Matthew chapter 11. Okay, so Matthew chapter 11, verses 20 to 30. If you've got your Bibles, can you turn to it? And today we're going to read straight off our Bibles. I've not put the text on the screen. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can share it with the friend sitting next to you. If not, you can just close your eyes and hear it as I read it aloud, Okay. All right, Matthew chapter 11, verses 20 to 30. This is in reference to Jesus. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth And ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on that day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by the Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me. All you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, that as we open up your scriptures, that you are blessed not just the reading of this word, but the the hearing of this word. You will bless the understanding of this word. And Father, we pray, Lord God, that you will increase while we all decrease and the, and the face of Jesus fills our, eye, fills our eyes and fills our entire perspective. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Wow. Okay, so we've just read Matthew chapter 11. So I'll tell you a bit of background. So you know we've got a preaching roster, right? And when the preaching roster was released earlier this year or or late last year, I opened it up and I scrolled through the Google sheet and until I saw July 20th, 21st, my name was there and Pastor Aaron's name was there, Pastor Aaron Tan, and Matthew 11 was there. So I thought, oh, okay, both, both Aaron and I are preaching Matthew 11. So I turned my Bible to Matthew 11 And I see the first chapter heading I see is messengers from John the Baptist. And I know my brother Aaron is like so tight with John the Baptist, right? Like they go drinking a wild honey together and they go eating locusts together. So so I immediately pick up the phone and I call Aaron and I say, bro, bro, you won't believe it, right? Because the week you're on, it's your bro, John the Baptist. I'm sure you want to preach John the Baptist. He said, oh, really? Yeah? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so he said, uh, if Ken, that'll be really good. He'll re- I really appreciate that. I said, Ken, bro, you go ahead. You preach John the Baptist. I'll take whatever else is there. So I put down the phone and I go back to Matthew 11. And I, and, and I see what's coming up after John the Baptist. Woe to the unrepentant cities. And I thought, oh my days, this is gonna, what have I done, right? I'm gonna call Aaron back and say, bro, 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 I take it back. But no, 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 no. So, so here we are, right? Here we are. Woe to the unrepentant cities. What's going on here? What's going on here? Well, I wanna show you three points, three things. And I hope that you can see from these three things what this text is really about. But before that, before that, I, 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 you know when you read and you hear a part of the Bible like this, maybe for some of you it reminds you 
of those old school fire and brimstone sermons. How many of you guys, you know what a fire and brimstone sermon is? You've actually sat in one of them before, right? If you, if, if you don't know, it's one of those sermons where, where the preacher is like really angry throughout the whole sermon. He's like carrying the wrath of God and he starts, he starts preaching all these wrathful parts of the Bible and, and that may or may not include uh, parts of his, of his sermon that go like, you're going to burn in hell, right? Stuff like that. So, so, so when I read this, at first encounter, I thought, man, this sounds like a fire and brimstone sermon. And I'm not a fire and brimstone preacher. That's not me, right? It's not me. In fact, I dare say that none of the pastors here in SIBKL are fire and brimstone people. And then I looked at it, and I looked at it, and I, and I looked at the cross. And, I, and you know, we just sang that song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. And I looked at the cross. And then when I look at the cross, even just now while, while, while we were worshipping, I saw these words just pop in, in front of my eyes, mangled, smashed, spat on, whipped, beaten, mocked, killed. And then I look back at this text and I think, no man, this is not a brimstone and fire sermon. You know what's going on here? You know when, when Jesus is crying out, woe to all these cities, you know what he's really doing? He's wooing his people back. He's in love with his people. He's so in love. It's like, it's ferocious love. If you've got children, you know there's such a thing as a ferocious love that if your children are being harmed by someone, that kind of love takes over. And, and I think the reason why it's gotten so hot is because the potential for disaster is so great and the possibility, the, the, the path that they are on is so, is so completely self-destructive that when Jesus tries to woo them home and it's so much potential for disaster, it gets so hot. I think that's what's happening. But, but I hope that we can all see as we hear today's sermon that what's happening with Jesus here is not anger, it's not wrath, it's not so much condemnation, it is ferocious, protective love. Amen? Amen, SIBKL? Can you turn to your friend and say, I think today is about love. Turn to your friend. Turn to your friend and say, I think today is about love. I think today is about love. And I want to show you three things from the text today. The first one is this expectations. Say with me, one, two, three, expectation. Expectation. There is an expectation to repent. And the second point is this, it's on evidence. Can we say it out loud? One, two, three, evidence. The evidence is enough. So first, the expectation is to repent. Secondly, the evidence is enough. And thirdly, it's about an exchange. Say with me, exchange. One, two, three. Exchange. Exchange your burdens for rest. Now let's stay on the first one for now. There is an expectation to repent. You know, friends, what is Jesus doing in this text? The first thing he does is he's drawing a comparison. He's drawing a comparison between two sets of cities. And these are the two sets of cities. I've colored it in yellow. That is Tyre, Sidon, and Sodom. These are all Gentile cities. So these cities do not know the teachings of God. These are people who do not know the love and they have not been walking with Yahweh. And these are all ancient cities from as old as the Abrahamic time. We know Sodom was from the time of Abraham. We know that Tyre and Sidon were around during uh, 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 the conquest of Joshua. So def quite definitely it was there already during Moses and the 40 years in the desert. So these are really all ancient cities. And we also know from the Old Testament that the prophets of old had prophesied of their doom because of their unrepentance and the deep immorality of those cities. So Jesus is making a comparison between two sets of cities. The first set in yellow is Tyre, Sidon, and Sodom. And the second set of cities are those that I've colored in red, Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum. 
And these were Jewish cities. And these were Jewish cities that were contemporaneous to Jesus' time, meaning that they were there and alive and active during Jesus' time. In fact, Jesus spent a lot of time in Capernaum. He preached a lot in Capernaum. A lot of his healing ministry happened in Capernaum. So that's the third point. They witnessed a lot. In fact, if you remember over the last few weeks, three weeks ago, our brother Wayan was preaching a sermon on healing. And he talked about how Jesus healed the sick. He healed Peter's mother. Remember that one? That was in Capernaum, right? And, and, and remember when, when Jesus calmed the storm, that was on the waters of Capernaum. And after going across, uh, across uh, um, uh, the sea, he came back the following day. He healed a paralytic and that was in Capernaum. Many of you will know that Jesus fed 5,000. That was in Bethsaida. He healed a crippled person at a pool in Bethsaida. Oh, sorry, um, he, he, you remember the one where Jesus put mud on, on, on a blind man's eyes and then, and then he spat on it and then he, he got it washed off? Bethsaida. So these are cities, not just any old city. These are places and people groups who have seen all of his, all, all, so many of, of the miraculous works of God. And so I started to spend some time. Two weeks ago, I started to think a lot about this because I'm, I'm seeing on one hand, there is, there is all this healing and works of miracles and, I'm, and I think that the environment in these places must have been so, so fertile for, for repentance and for faith and for people to just say, wow, I have seen these great things, I will believe, right? And then I see Jesus condemning these cities for their unrepentance. And I start to think and think. And you know, the more, the more you think about something, the, the, the stranger you can get. So, so I thought about it and I started to, 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 to journal it. And, I, and halfway journey, I started, to, I started to draw this bar chart, right? So, 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 so the inner nerd in me took over and I started to draw this bar chart um, to, show, to show the relationship between repentance and, and what people have seen. And it looks a little bit like this, right? Uh, the bar chart will look like this. So, so Tyre, Sidon, and Sodom in yellow, Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum in red. So if the bar chart goes to the left, it means that they have been unrepentant. If the bar chart goes to the right, it means they have been repentant. My wife saw this two nights ago and she said, Ferks, this is the most short Sundiri slide in the history of SIBKL sermons, right? But never mind, never mind. Let's have a little bit of fun. What does it look like for all these six cities? It looks a bit like this. Both of them have been unrepentant. Both of them have been unrepentant. And deep immorality was taking place in these cities, right? But this one chart is not enough. You need to look at this chart against the second bar chart. And the second bar chart it's on the suitability of the environment for people to grow faith, for people to repent, for people to want to seek God, for people to want to stop and turn or crash and burn and not crash and burn, right? So if you were to compare, first set of cities in yellow, Tyre, Sidon, Sodom, second set of cities, Chorazin, Bethsaida, Capernaum, it would look like this. Capernaum, what's going on? Chorazin and Bethsaida, what's going on? You've seen miracles, you've seen wonders, you've seen, you've not just heard preaching, though you have heard preaching, you've seen so much. What's this? Why is your, why is your repentance line going backwards? Why are you still unrepentant? You have seen so much, so many stories. God's story, your story is His story. And you have seen and heard and witnessed so much. Some of them were your friends. Some of them are your mums. What's this? How can, how can, Jesus might very well be saying, how can I come and perform so many miracles in your midst and you still give me this? I mean, these guys I understand, in yellow I understand. They saw nothing and they were unrepentant and they were bitterly immoral. But up to a certain point, I understand it will be more bearable for Sodom than it will be for you, Capernaum, because of, because of this. 
And that made me scared. That made me, if not just a little bit scared, you know why? Because I started asking myself, SIBKL, second chart, where are we? Second chart, this line, are, are, are we somewhere here? Are we somewhere here? Are we somewhere here? Because you know what? Ever since 2013, we've been doing 40 days of fasting and prayer. And, and in a couple of weeks, right, we're going to be restarting our 40 days of fast and prayer. And every year, it never fails to blow our minds, right, that when a people of God set aside their time, their hearts, their life, their meals, and their social media, they set all these things aside to seek God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. That God comes, and He comes in power, and He brings healing. We have seen people being cured from cancer, healed from cancer. We've seen people being awoken from their coma. We have seen, we've seen marriages that are about to, to, to end in divorce, just supernaturally being put back together. We've seen families come back together. Guys, SIBKL. Surely, on that second chart, we are on that high end. We, should, we are living in a time and we are worshipping in a place that is a very fertile ground for faith. Which begs the next question, that first chart. How are we doing for faith? How are we doing for repentance? In, our, in some of the parts of our lives, are we indeed stopping and turning to Jesus? Or are, we, or are we pushing it, gunning on that accelerator, heading towards a crash and burn? Friends, let's think about this one for a moment. And I, and, and I started to ask myself, well, what's the relationship? And what, what's the purpose of signs? Actually, you know, what's the purpose of all these miracles? Of course, miracles are good, right? Because people get healed. Good. Of course it's good, and we love that. What's the purpose of miracles? And why do we call them signs? Because a sign is not just something in and of itself. A sign is an indicator pointing towards something else, something else that's coming up in the distance. So why do we call these miraculous works signs and wonders, right? And maybe it's this, that these, these miraculous works of Jesus are pointing us towards something else. They don't terminate on themselves. They are telling us, this is supposed to bring you to that, to that. And if this just makes you wow and go like, wow, I'm so impressed, it's not good enough. It's got to create something in you that leads you towards somewhere else. So I realized this, that the purpose of science is to bring us to repentance. Because that's what the Bible says, right? In this part, that all these people, you've seen all these signs and you did not repent. So the purpose of all these things was for you to repent. It's for you to repent. It's not there to, to wow people, even though people get wowed. It's not just there. It's not there for you to, to wow people. It's not there to impress people as if Jesus needed to show people that he had credibility by doing all these things. He doesn't. It's not there to create a following as if Jesus needed to, to, to raise up followers, you know, who were just kind of tag along. In fact, most of the time, the, the crowds that followed Jesus around the place were involuntarily following him. And, and in fact, sometimes they inhibited his work. Signs and wonders are not there to create hype or buzz or, or traction so that people get excited in Signs and Wonders, especially not in SIBKL, it's not for commercial gain. We don't do that, not here in this church. So what are Signs and Wonders for? They are to lead us towards the path of repentance. That's what they are for. But it teaches me one more thing, friends. It tells me that the more Signs and Wonders you see, the more you're expected to repent. The higher the burden it is, the greater the expectation it is that you would repent. And that's the part, that's the part that makes me, if not just a little bit scared. You know, I've spent a lot of time, two weeks, just mulling about this whole thing about signs, wonders, leading to repentance. What is repentance? So I started asking myself, what is repentance? 
Maybe for many of you who have a church background, you would have heard someone define repentance as this, that you turn around, turn away, you do a 180 from the direction you were in and you start walking in the opposite direction. And that's a good definition. And sometimes we say that repentance is turning your direction. And that's okay, but I think the word direction might not be enough to capture it because, look, I can stand in this direction and not move, and I can just be facing one direction. And I can stand here and be facing a different direction. And I can turn and not move and be facing a third direction. But I think repentance is not just about where you are pointing because it's where you are pointing with you in motion. So I think maybe a better word for repentance is trajectory. You're on a path, you're on a trajectory, and there is movement in trajectory. And when you're on a trajectory, here's the thing about trajectories. It's not easy to steer away from an existing trajectory because there's momentum. And that's our sinful nature. And that's the way we have been all our lives. So, so, so repentance is... It's a little bit chiropractic, right? If you've been to a chiropractor, you'll know that your chiropractor will adjust all your bones back and all your joints back and suddenly you'll feel great for like half a day, right? Or, or, or like three days and everything is in place. And between that visit and two weeks later, you go back to your same chiropractor and all that, all the joints will slowly go out of shape again and they go back to your old posture, especially if you don't look after your posture and then suddenly your chiropractor will have to, you know, push everything back in and then you feel great again and you keep doing that and eventually he says, hey, look, you know what? Have you been doing your strength exercises? You know, the ones I was showing you and you kind of go like, uh, no, not really. You know why? You know why you keep going out of shape again? Because if not, been strengthening yourself. And repentance is a bit like that, right? You keep going to God and say, God, I'm sorry, I'm going to turn. And then you turn, and then after a while, your natural, uh, um, uh, your natural old habits and all that just keep turning you back. We are wayward in our hearts, so we keep turning back again. And that will keep on going until the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of the living Word strengthens you from, from right in, your, in the pits of who you are so that you can walk straight always. But I want you to also know this so you don't beat yourself up too hard. Repentance takes time. Repentance is not a once-off, come to the altar, cry, cry, pray, pray, repent, repent, and then go back and like, you're done, right? Like I said, it's, it's, it's chiropractic, right? You keep having to readjust and slowly, 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 you get better at it. But don't beat yourself up if, you're, if, you're, if your repentance is not, it doesn't look perfect. If it looks imperfect, don't beat yourself up. But God says this, he who began a good work will bring it to completion. So if he's begun the work of repentance in you, he will bring it to completion one day. Lanka demi lanka. Amen? Amen? God is good. God is so good. You know? So repentance is like a trajectory change, right? And, and, and that's why for a trajectory to change, you need to stop. You need, to get, you need to apprehend. You need to apprehend yourself or maybe God needs to apprehend you, right? And hold you down. That's the stop, right? Because you can't. You can't just swing and just, you, you, you know, right? You, you, you fly off. You need to stop and then turn. And when I think about this, when I think about repentance and stop and turn, if not, you'll crash and burn. I think about repentance like this. It's like a, dry, a loved one. Let's say it's a loved one of yours who's driving up a mountain road. You know those narrow mountain roads where on the left-hand side, there is a, there is a fall, uh, there, there's a drop, and if you, if you crash off that, like, man, you're finished, right? And I think about those mountain roads. Imagine one of your loved ones driving round and round a mountain road like that. It's blind around the corner. You just can't see, right? And it's at night, and they're gunning it, right? They're driving quite fast, okay? And then suddenly... A signboard shows up. Awas! Stop and turn. And your loved one just goes on. And you're fearing for their life, right? And they go on and on until they see another bigger sign. This time it's like the big sign, right? It's red, it's big, it's flashing. There's neon lights blasting at you saying, Danger! Awas! Stop and turn or crash and burn. And your loved one goes, mm. 
Now I want to ask you a question. If somehow, somehow you could break their legs to stop them from stepping on that accelerator and driving any further, if somehow you could break their legs, would that be an act of cruelty? No, right? If somehow you could break their legs and stop them from driving any further, it would be an act of love. It would be an act of love because you know what's coming up. You know what's coming up and you're stopped. You know what? When I realized this, I went back to Matthew chapter 5 and I realized what Jesus is trying to say when he says, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. It is better for you to enter heaven with no eyes than for your whole body to go into hell. Because you know what? Maybe when your right eye is sinning, you're on a trajectory that is way more dangerous than what you thought. You thought it was petty sin. Like, no man, that's like going to lead you to doom. You're going to crash and burn. So, so maybe that's what Jesus means. And maybe it's not an act of cruelty. And maybe Jesus isn't being stupid when he says that. Maybe it's an act of love. And maybe, and maybe, and maybe we start to think about, about repentance and signs. Like, like, how about this? Think about this. How does a, a, a sign, an, an act of, of healing, right, end up in repentance? What's the process? Think about that for a moment. What are the processes that lead from, oh, I saw a sign, then I repent? What's the link? It's almost like there's no link. But three weeks ago, our brother Wanyan helped us to see that link. Because when he shared about when Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law, it showed that Jesus cared. Do you guys remember that one? It showed that Jesus cared. He was compassionate. He loved Peter and he loved Peter's mother-in-law. And so, and so I think, yeah, that's one way, that's one link, right? When you see a supernatural sign and wonder and you, you don't just see that, you see the love of God. And when you see the love of God, you say, God, you love me so much. I'm so unlovable. You love me so much. And I'm so against you um, in some of my ways. And still you love me so much out of love. You go on your knees and you say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You show me so much love. I'm coming home to you. And that's one way repentance, it, repentance comes from seeing a sign and wonder. But there is another way. There is another way, and, and we see this back in, in, in Matthew 8 and 9 as well, because we know that when Jesus went onto the, onto the boat, and then the storm came, right? Remember, the storm came, and Jesus said, quiet, be still, and the winds listened, the oceans, the, 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 the sea stopped roaring, and then what happened? The disciples were afraid, and when he landed back on the other side, and he healed the paralytic, the people around who saw were in awe, and afraid. The word, the Greek word for afraid is phobeo. It means it's the same place where we get the word phobia. It is, they are really afraid. You know why they're afraid? Because they suddenly realize who they're up against. If they're, if they're up against this guy, like he's Lua Biasa. This guy is no ordinary man. He's like, he can command the winds and the storm to come down. Like, you, you better have the fear of God. If he can calm the storm, you better have the fear of God if you see something totally supernatural happening in front of you. And maybe that is another way, another way that your knee will be forced to bend and you bring, you're brought to repentance, sometimes not out of love, sometimes out of fear. And I'll tell you, Jesus will take it either way. And some of us, I hope most of us, can be brought to repentance out of love. But it could very well be that for a small group of us, maybe 10, maybe 100 of us, we need to be brought to repentance out of fear. But let's just say, SIBKL, the love of God can woo you, right? The love of God can woo you to repentance. Maybe some of you are asking, hey, you know what, Pastor? Is it fair to expect the whole city like Capernaum to repent? Is it fair? Is it, is, it quite, is it quite absurd to expect everybody to repent? Maybe not. You want to know why? 
Because in the Old Testament, we see in Jonah's story, right? How many of you, you know Jonah's story? Jonah was asked by God to go and just preach, not even heal the sick, not even calm the storm, just preach. Go from one end of the city, walk through the whole city and preach through the whole city till you get to the opposite end and see what happens. And after a long drama, he does that. And against his wildest expectations, the whole city goes into sackcloth and ashes and they repent. And in fact, in Luke chapter 11, Jesus references this. It's a parallel to today's text, right? Because Jesus says, you know what? You know what? The men of Nineveh will judge you. You know why? Because all they heard was preaching from a, from a reluctant uh, a prophet. That's all they got. And they all, and they all repented. And today, one greater than Jonah is here. And today, a, a, a word and an experience greater than Jonah's preaching is here. You have seen wonders. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. Woe to you, all these cities, the unrepentant. Why? Because I believe Jesus is desperately wooing you. So desperate. So so much he wants to woo you, he will show you all these wonders as signs to lead you towards repentance. Friends, SIBKL, is there something in our lives over which we have to be apprehended and say, stop. Stop, Fergus, stop. Stop, my brother. Stop, my sister. Is there something that God needs to apprehend you, slow you down and then bring you to a halt and say, my dear child, turn, turn. If not, you'll crash and burn. You know, before I move on from this point, there's just one more thing I want to say about this expectation. I was thinking a lot about, okay, so is it just about miracles that lead to repentance? Or is there something more than that? Right? Because when you look through the Bible, you see it's something more than that. So I think that miracles that lead you to repenting is just one of the expressions. But if you put the roots down, you put the roots down, you touch an underlying principle. And I think the underlying principle sounds a bit like this. Steward your privilege well. Steward your privilege with fear and trembling so that eventually, out of the faithfulness of stewarding your privilege, well, fruit is born. I think it sounds like that. You want to know why? Because if you look elsewhere in the Bible, in Luke chapter 12, it says this, from everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. I don't think it's just about seeing miracles and repenting. I think it's about every kind of privilege that the church has. And it came into sharp focus for me recently because I, I recently made friends with this, this guy. He's a deacon in a BM church, right? And, and, so, and so he said, yeah, come over to my church. You know, I, uh, um, I love to host you. So I went over to his church and I walked in, it's a small stairwell going into a really tiny shop lot. Four chairs, an aisle, four chairs. I'm like, just count out four chairs right next to you, right? 16 rows, and then that's it. Behind, um, uh, there were two tiny rooms, and they fit 40 people, 40 adults into, into that tiny hall that day, and they fit 29 kids, like essentially 30 kids into two tiny rooms at the back. The happiest kids you would have ever seen. And he told me that, brother, we can't fit all our congregation here because if everybody comes, it will be over 100 people. And I looked around, I said, yeah, I'm sure. I, I know why they are not all coming on the same weekend because you don't even have space for that. And then I looked, at our sanctuary. Man, we've got space to burn, man. We've got space to burn. I look at our kids' zone, <laughs> we've got space to burn. And I think, this guy is shepherding their sheep there. I'm shepherding our sheep here. We're gathered with our whole pastoral team. Sunny Lord was saying to me, man, Fergus, if he, can, if he can't shepherd, if he struggles to shepherd his sheep, I can understand, you know. If you guys with all your privilege can't shepherd your sheep, oh my gosh. 
I don't even want to think. I don't even want to continue that conversation with Jesus. I just want to put my head down and say, okay, Jesus, I heard enough. I heard enough. Steward your privilege well. I think that's what this passage is really talking about. And I think, and I realize that, that our privilege should lead us to thinking about it in two ways. Because the first way is this. To be, it is a blessing that we should be very thankful for. And I think in SIBKL, it's good to have a reminder to be thankful that we've got aircon, like, like a triple volume ceiling, right? So it, so it feels kind of like big, and you've got a nice sound system, and you've got great chairs and big screens. God, we're so thankful for these things. But our privilege should also be a second thing that is a responsibility, a heavy, deep, deep, reverent responsibility that we steward with all our faithfulness. Because I think that's why God gave it to us in the first place. Amen? Friends, God wants to do this. He expects a certain response, good stewardship. And then he expects this as well. He expects us to see this, the second point, an evidence. And I'll say one or two things about evidence. Everybody say with me, the evidence is enough. You know, two weeks ago, Pastor Tabby was preaching about, about how God wants to send people out, right? Send people out and to share the gospel, to just share the gospel. And don't worry if people reject you, just kick that dust off your feet. But you want to share the good news. And some people will say, oh, I want to see more proof. And Pastor Tabs was saying that, yeah, maybe if you gave them more proof, they would still not believe. You remember that? And for some people... And maybe that's what, that's what they're trying to say. What they're trying to say is, I must see first, then I can believe. But maybe Jesus is not saying, I'm going to let you see first, then see if you believe. Maybe Jesus is trying to say, believe first, and then you can see. You know why? Because faith does something to our eyes. That when we have no faith, that thing doesn't happen to our eyes. It causes blindness to fall. And when you have faith, blindness falls, and suddenly you see through a new lens. And when you see through a new lens, you see things you could not see before. And you see things that makes you believe in greater things that can yet be done. And that's why when you, when you believe first, you say, hey, you know what? The evidence was so obvious from the start. I don't know why I couldn't see it. So maybe the evidence is enough. In fact, I will go as far as to say, yes, the evidence is enough. And Paul says this in Romans chapter 1. I want to show this to you. Paul says this, the wrath of God is being revealed. So something is, is being revealed, right? From heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because what? God has made it plain to them. Now, how did God make it plain to all of us from what has been made? Meaning to say that if you were to pay attention to creation, all the things that He has made in the natural world, it should be obvious that there is a God. Not just that there is a God. This God is serious. This God is amazing. This God is Biasa, and He takes us seriously and, 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 and we should also take Him seriously. And if you decide that you don't want to take Him seriously, then you do it with fear and trembling because He is quite a Biasa God. And, and Paul is saying that you should see this in nature. So I want to give you two quick examples. One, a very big, big example. Another one, a really small example. The earth that we are on rotates on its axis. And it rotates on this axis on a certain orbit. Now, it doesn't matter whether you're a young earther or an old earther. We've been on this orbit for a very, very, very long time. But here's the thing. If the distance between the earth and the sun was cut short by just 1%. So if we went 1% nearer to the sun, all our oceans would boil over. Immediately, the whole of the earth would, would be filled with noxious gases and, and, and the earth would burn up. We would become uninhabitable. Complete. We would all die in an instant. 
but we've never moved up to even 1% nearer to the sun. And, and, and you know what? Here's a crazy thing. If that distance was lengthened by 1%, we will immediately freeze over. All the oceans will freeze over immediately. There will be a permanent ice age over us and we will all die on the spot. And we have never moved 1% further from the sun. Round, 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 year on year, decade and century after millennia upon millennia. And you, and, and you think there is no God? Yeah, and we try to live as if he doesn't exist. We live as if he's not important and that there is no consequences to how we live our lives. No, no, God forbid, God forbid. And, I, and I'll give you a small example. The human DNA, right? Just scratch your skin. You've got skin cells and right inside that, right? Smaller than a normal microscope can pick up is the DNA strand. And in every DNA strand, you know what's there? Six billion bits of information. And in that information includes the color of your hair, the color of your skin, the color of your eyes, the way your bone shape, your, bo your body shape will be, your bone density is there, your, your, your propensity to, your, your, your proclivity to, 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 have, uh, to, to have certain diseases or to have certain, certain uh, um, um, uh, body types or whatever it is, it's all there and it's not just yours. It's compounded from centuries of generations of DNA and it's all compounded into that tiny strand, six billion bits of information containing such intelligence to birth you. And you tell me that there is no God? You live as if He doesn't exist, like He doesn't care for you, that He's not interested in all the most minute small things in your life? So you don't even have to repent and respond to Him in, in love, if not in fear? God forbid. The evidence is clear. It's clear. If those who have eyes to see will see it. And I pray in SIBKL, we will all have eyes to see. But there was one man Jesus spoke about who didn't have eyes to see. That man was a man called, called a rich man, right? He doesn't even have a name. Jesus told this story of Lazarus and a rich man. And, and, and the rich man lived in a mansion and Lazarus was a beggar at the front of his house. And every day, this rich man went in and out, couldn't give two hoots about this beggar. And one day, they both died. And Lazarus went to God's bosom in heaven. And, 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 and the rich man went down to the pits of fiery burning. And he cried out. He cried out. And after a little bit of drama going back and forth, he says, God, God, can you send a, can send a messenger to my brothers who are still living in that house so, and, and show them more evidence, give them more proof that this is real so that they will believe. You know what God says to them? They have Moses. And if they won't believe Moses, they won't believe any supernatural messenger that I send to them. The evidence is enough. If you have eyes to see, you'll see it. And there were two thieves crucified next to Jesus. And they saw exactly the same thing. That's what I, it baffles me. Two people, a thousand people here can all see the same thing. One repents, right? They were both mocking him and then one of them, as if it suddenly dawned on him, just catches himself in the middle of his mocking and says like, actually, you know what? He's more righteous than we. We deserve this. He doesn't deserve this. Save me today. You'll be with me in paradise. And the more I think about it, it baffles me. Why is it that some of us can see the same thing? One doesn't believe, one believes. One doesn't repent, the other repents. How does it work? Is it that we love our trajectories towards sin so much? Maybe C.S. Lewis is right, you know, when he says that some of us would rather reign in hell than serve in heaven. S.I.B.K.L. I think we all want to serve in heaven. Amen? S.I.B.K.L., come on. Come on, if you, want to serve, if you want to serve in heaven and you think reigning in hell is not a good option then come on, stop and turn. Stop and turn. Because the evidence is enough. You know how enough? The evidence is enough to save us. 
but the evidence is also enough to damn us. But as I be careful, I believe for us, the evidence is enough to save us. Amen. Amen. The evidence is enough. And the last point is this. There is an exchange that can take place. You know why? You know why there can be an exchange that can take place? Because the burden for proof is heavy. You want to keep collecting evidence? Go be my guest, man. It's heavy work. It's heavy load to bear. You want to collect more proof? Collect more proof after more proof and the expectation of God builds up for you to repent? Good luck, man. That's a heavy load to bear. You keep carrying the weight of burden, the weight of proof, it will crush you one day. Evidence for belief is heavy. You know what else is heavy? Saving yourself is heavy. Saving yourself is very heavy. Putting up a brave front. How about that? Putting up a brave front when your whole life is falling apart and you have to walk into a hall with 1,000 people and showing everybody that you're okay. How are you? Blessed. I'm okay. Putting up a brave front is heavy. You don't want to do that too often to too many people. You want to have a place where you can go and lower and lay all that weight down. You know what else is heavy? Sin is heavy. The trajectory towards sin is heavy. You know what? Sin is so malignant. It's so malignant, it replicates so quickly and it takes over you. It's so cancerous that out of sin, it gives you shame and shame is heavy. And out of shame, it, 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 it poisons you with guilt and guilt is heavy. And out of shame and guilt, you start beating yourself up. Oh, I did this one thing wrong. Oh, I'm such a bad guy, such a bad Christian, such a bad Christian. I'm a lousy testimony, bad, bad Fergus, bad guy, bad guy. Condemning yourself is heavy. And the burden to repent in a perfect way so that every time you go a little bit out of shape, you beat yourself up for it. That's heavy. And that's why Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke. Your yoke is heavy. My yoke is light. I bear your sin on the cross. I bear the need for proof. I save you. I, I, you don't need to have a brave front. You come to me and have a cry cry with me. And that's okay. I won't judge you. My yoke is light. I bear your sin. I bear your guilt. I bear your shame. Don't condemn yourself because when I carried that beam of the cross, your sins and your condemnation was on me is what Jesus says. And the burden to repent perfectly, I who began a good work in you, I'll bring it to perfection. That's my yoke. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Learn from me. Learn from me. I'm gentle. I'm lowly in heart. That's why Jesus says, come to me. He says, come to me. Because that word come, that expression come to me, it's about trajectory. Because when you're walking in, a, in the trajectory that leads you to death and Jesus apprehends you and he says, stop and turn. And when you turn to Jesus, you turn your eyes upon Jesus and you lock eyes with him, he says, come to me. Because you know what? You can be apprehended and you can turn to 999 other trajectories that are equally in error, equally sinful. You can be apprehended on a pathway of pornography that leads you towards prostitution, that one day is going to lead you towards an affair or lead you towards AIDS. And God stops you and He says, come to me. You can turn to a new trajectory, which is plunging yourself into, into workaholism, maybe. 
And that can be in equal error. And, and, and Jesus says, stop and turn. And you can turn and plunge yourself into substance abuse. And you can go headlong on that until Jesus says, stop and turn. And you turn the opposite direction. And what do you see? Materialism. And you can go down that path. But Jesus is not just saying stop and turn. He's saying stop and turn your eyes upon Jesus. Because out of those 999 other possible trajectories, there is a one that leads towards Jesus. And that is repentance. Repentance is not a pastor coming up here to give you fire and brimstone. That's not repentance. Repentance is stop and turn to Jesus. That's repentance. And you have to do this every day in your life. And every night when you lay on the bed, you do this, stop and turn your eyes upon Jesus. And every day when you catch yourself being a bit rude, being a bit harsh, being a bit, a bit, a, a, a bit hardened, stop. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. You know, friends, can I have the worship team on stage? You know, friends, I'm... I'm 39, I've got three kids, right? And with three kids, it happens maybe sometimes often, too often, right? Often enough, often enough that my kids would, would be in a bad place and one of them would, might be angry, sometimes they are frustrated, maybe sometimes they spotted some injustice happening at home and they are indignant and, and I can almost see my son kind of like biting his lip you know, and being like, 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 like really frustrated. He doesn't, maybe he doesn't have the, the words to articulate his frustration, right? So he's just like, like, like tensed up and angry. Or maybe I can see my daughter, you know, kind of like shrugging and folding her arms and I go like, hey, sweetie, you know, like, no, I don't want, I don't want, not now, you know? Um, and what do you do as a parent when you see that? Right? I, I mean, maybe we need to work through that anger and maybe they did something wrong and they don't see it. And, but maybe the first thing we want to do as parents is to say, hey, you know what, son? Come, let Papa give you a hug. Can Papa give you a hug? Come, come, Papa wants to give you a hug. Or maybe I want to say to my daughter, hey, sweetie, you know what? You will feel better after Papa gives you a big, big hug. You will feel better. You know why, as parents, we do this? It's because the safest place for confession is in the arms of the Father the place where you can just fall apart and just, and, and just let your guard down and completely just crumble is in the arms of your God. It's in the arms of Jesus. And I believe Jesus is saying that to every single one of us. He's opening up his arms and he's saying, come on, son. Come on, son. I know you're struggling with this. Can, can Papa give you a hug? And I think you'll feel a lot better after you've, had a, after you've been able to, 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 to exchange this load and just cry it out here with me. Friends, stop and turn. It's not a harsh place. Harsh place is if you don't stop and turn. That's a harsh place, man. You don't want to go there. Stop and turn to Jesus. Let Him embrace you fall into his embrace that's what it means to repent can I have all eyes closed all heads bowed I want all of you to just see in your mind's eye right now the cross I want you to see Jesus I want you to see his love and how are you going to see his love I want you to see the wounds on his face one eye smashed up and swelling. I want you to see cuts all over his forehead, blood streaming down because of the crown of thorns. I want you to see his body completely bent out of shape. Your sin born on the cross by Jesus. Your shame born on the cross by Jesus. Your guilt born on the cross by Jesus. If He didn't go to the cross, we would have to go to the cross. But praise be to God. He took our sin. He took our shame. And today He's saying, turn your eyes. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Turn your eyes upon me. 
Look full in my blood-stained face. Look full in my bruised-up face. Look full in my swollen face. This is my love for you. It's not repentance. It's not a harsh thing. Repentance is my loving arms. Do you not see my loving arms? Right now they are stretched, stretched across the horizontal beam of the cross. That's, those are my loving arms. Not fire, not brimstone. Whoever represented my love as fire and brimstone? No. I love you this much. If you've never given your life to Jesus, if you've never confessed Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, in layman terms, you are not a Christian. But today, Jesus has slowed you down and He said, Stop, my son. Stop, my daughter. And turn. Turn your eyes upon me. And you have seen Him. You have seen that He loves you. You have seen that He doesn't want to condemn you far from it. The opposite of that. He wants to save you from condemnation. If you have never been a Christian and you have never confessed Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, I want you to stretch your hand all the way up right now at a count of three. One, two, three. Just stretch your hand all the way up. If you have never confessed Jesus as your Lord and Saviour and you want to do that today, stretch your hand all the way up. Now, I don't know your story you may be feeling guilty over yourself for the things you've done or you, may, or, or, or you may have the guilt of someone. Someone's sin completely ruined your life but today you want to turn to Jesus. If that is you and you want to say, Jesus, I want to, I, I want to throw myself into your arms for the first time ever, stretch your hand out and receive Him as your Lord and Saviour. If that is you, stretch your hand out. You may come from any background. You may have come from a background of condemnation. You may have come from a background of rules and regulation. You may come from a background where your where your past where, where, where you heard of a pastor who was who was who kind of like nitpicking all your behaviors and that turned you away from Jesus. I don't know what background you come from, but if you've seen a Jesus who represents all the love that you never had and you want to say, Jesus, be my Lord and Saviour, stretch that hand out all the way up because this is a moment, man, you will never get this moment for I don't know how long more if that is you. Sister, I see your hand. Sister, I see your hand. God praise. God be praised for your hand, sister. All of heaven rejoices when one, when one, way, when one sinner comes home, when one lost soul is saved. And the, and the time is still there. The time is still there for you to stretch your hand up. And in stretching your hand up, you are saved in your seat, my friend. You don't need to do anything else. You don't need to chant an incantation. You don't need to do anything. You are saved in your seat. Your faith has saved you. And Jesus says, whoever acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge them in front of all the heavenly hosts and all of creation. So friends, God is giving you a moment to acknowledge Him before men. Just stretch your hand out if there is anyone else here who wants to come into a relationship, a new relationship with God to say, be my Lord, be my Saviour for the first time ever. Come. Any other hand here? The window is still open. And I want to keep that window open even as I move into the next into the next minute, the next call. If there is any one of you, if God is apprehending you, He's saying, stop, stop and turn to me. Turn your eyes upon me. I just want to open this floor here for all of you to come down. To come down and just fill this place up. And if you don't want anyone praying for you, that's okay, you know. Just come and kneel before the Lord and just have a time with God and just have an encounter with Jesus. And that's fine. And no one will pray for you. 
and, and you can just have an encounter with Him and you just speak to Him and you just cry to Him and let that be your turning to Jesus. And if you do want prayer, you can, you can search out any one of us and we will pray with you. Turn your eyes. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Can we all rise? And for our dear sister over there who raised her hand, can we all just, can we all just praise God? Can we all just praise God? Praise God for that one soul that has come home to Jesus. Sister, can I invite you to come to the front and we want to get to know you and we want to pray along with you. For the rest of us, the altar is open. You can come and have your encounter with Jesus. Turn your eyes. Turn your eyes. Turn your eyes upon Jesus Look full in His wonderful face And the things of the earth will grow strangely still in the in university start as a medical student in MU I received news that there was a sister who was so zealous for the Lord but somehow have backslided and in a sense almost denied the Lord what happened to her was she was riding on a motorbike around the whole of the campus of MU and she made an accident and both her legs were fractured. She was in, uni in the GHKL and something in my spirit tells me, I don't know who this, this lady was, to go and visit her. So I did, you know. So at that time, I had to take bus from MU and change the bus somewhere and take another bus to go to GHKL. And I don't know who was, all I know was her name. So I went from ward to ward and I found her. Prayed for her. Six weeks. Once every week I would visit her. How do you tell somebody? Probably she was bitter. But slowly at the end of six weeks, I brought her back to the Lord to tell her that if God has to break your legs to bring you back to Him, he does it because he is wooing you back to her. After six weeks, she was discharged. I lost touch. I don't know what happened to her. But all I know is something in my spirit tells me that whatever is happening to you, God is wooing you back. Several years ago, I found out that today she is married to an eldest in one of the churches in Klang Valley. She is an eldest wife. In other words, she came back to the Lord. I tell you this story. I want you to know that God loves you. This is a year of redemption. God wants to bring you back. No matter what is happening to you today, God is saying something to you. Maybe He wants you to repent. Move away from the trajectory that you're moving into at the moment. Turn. Come back to God. I want to pray for you. All eyes closed, all heads bowed. 
I know it's not it might be a shy to come forward but all heads bowed all eyes closed even your spirit that God has spoken to you in this message no one looking around you would just stretch out your hands I'm going to ask Pastor Fergus to pray for you no one looking around but as you stretch your hands up to God you're saying God you've been speaking to me for many months now today I will yield I will respond to you no shame no one looking around all heads bowed all eyes closed will you stretch up your right hand specifically your right hand right now right now I'm going to ask Brother Fergus to pray for you Pastor Fergus can you pray Heavenly Father out of your the riches of your love your grace and your mercy Holy Spirit reach right into every heart here friend I pray Holy Spirit will reach right into your heart and he will do a turning work right now and as he does this turning work he turns your heart towards Jesus he turns your whole posture towards Jesus he turns your eyes towards Jesus and he says my son my daughter walk away walk away walk away from the trajectory of death walk away from the path that leads to death that leads to destruction don't keep don't keep that hang up anymore he says don't hold on to that bitterness as if bitterness can heal you bitterness will kill you and don't be on that path of trying to do things all by yourself but come to me all you who are weary come to me my son he has been weary have you not been telling me you're so tired my son have you not been telling me you're exhausted my daughter then why don't you turn to me turn and come to me Holy Spirit turn every one of us to you right now Lord God and put strength in our legs to move and walk and take give us flight give us movement give us new momentum in the opposite direction Lord God so we can walk toward you and strengthen us so that we do not keep snapping back to our old ways and our old wayward ways but orient our hearts toward you once and for all so that day by day we will we will point toward you toward glory and greater glory so father i pray that you will do this and you will begin with all the smallest attitudes in our hearts you break through the stubborn parts and hardened parts of our hearts and like a scalpel you cut out all the diseased parts and throw them away so that the remainder can be made holy and the remainder can flourish and be nourished again amen so father i pray this blessing over every one of us may the lord bless you and keep you May the Lord make His face to shine upon you and give you shalom and give you rest and take your burdens. May the Lord turn His countenance toward you and give you peace. And all of God's people who today have learned to cling to Him say, Amen. 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 Amen.